on this episode of The James Quandall Show. But that's pretty scary. I, I would say you had small kids at that time. That's not a typ- typical thought pattern or decision. Was there already an idea of what you wanted to do instead? I mean, you started looking for businesses. What, did you already sort of have a dream? I'm so glad you asked that. There was a dream, and here's what it looked like. Jason Wright is an author, speaker, podcaster, entrepreneur, and most importantly, a husband and a father. Jason purchased his first company when he was 28 years old and says he, quote, made every possible mistake an entrepreneur can make. However, he survived to tell about it and documents his journey from corporate America to entrepreneurship in his book, Push Play, Taking Your Life Off Pause. He's also the host of The Jason Wright Show, where he interviews exceptional humans from disciplines ranging from professional athlete to best-selling author to virtuoso musician. The motto of the show is improve always in all ways. Jason says the show was a way to do just that for himself by learning from his guests. Jason now resides in Tyler, Texas with his wife, Gemlin. They are the owners of a children's boutique where Jason's official title is The Intern. When he's not fetching Gemlin coffee or taking out the trash, he's a peak performance coach. He helps entrepreneurs reach peak performance and implement strategies to build a long-term trajectory for them as leaders, as well as for their companies and the teams they employ. Jason's favorite quote is, man conquers the world by conquering himself. So Jason Wright, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you hopping on and chatting with me today. Brother, it is an honor. I am so glad to have uh, befriended you and to be one of your first podcast interviews is an absolute honor, man. I'm ready to have some fun. Yeah, you know, we talked yesterday and for the listeners, we probably should have recorded that conversation because there was a lot of nuggets in there. And I always look forward to the times I get to talk to Jason because he is a wealth of knowledge. He has gone, you know, he's sort of done it all. And hopefully when we're talking today, we'll be able to get to cover some of that. But I mean, basically kind of tell me a little bit about your journey. I mean, I know a lot about you, but for the listener, where did you start? And then where did you, where are you at now? Yeah. So let's take it all the way back to the, uh, where I, where it all started, which was Sulphur Springs, Texas, a small East Texas town of about 14,000. I think, I think we're up to 15,000 people now. And I was the first member of my family to go to college, uh, Stephen F. Austin State University. You being in South Carolina, a lot of your listeners are probably outside of Texas. They have no idea who Stephen F. Austin is. He is the father of Texas. Uh, and there's a small state university in Nacogdoches, the oldest town in Texas, that bears his name. And that's where I went off to school. And like so many people probably listening to this, either as parents or as, you know, uh, former college students themselves, I set out on a very traditional path. I went on a football scholarship, hated football, realized it was a job, gave that scholarship up, but was determined to get the college degree because, you know, I was of that mindset, James, that, you know, that was your ticket to a better life. It's what you had to do. And so I stayed, I put myself through uh, Stephen F undergrad, and then I went to work in corporate America, a Fortune 500 company that, that has since been acquired and gone away called Computer Sciences Corporation, and really just started following this very traditional, uber-responsible path. of, And it did not take me long at all to realize it was not for me. Now, did, you, did your family follow that similar path before you? 
Absolutely not. So that's one of the things that my dad was a good example of and made it very difficult for me uh, to want to follow a traditional path because he didn't go to college and was always he was always self-employed. And I want to talk about that. I want to tee this up just really briefly for your listeners, and we'll probably come back to it at some point. I can't really say my dad was an entrepreneur. My dad was not someone who was looking to scale a business for a big exit one day or had this massively uh, impactful idea that he was going to monetize and then take to the market that he was a self-employed guy. He was a small business owner. So he owned a job. So I, I think there's a big difference there that we'll probably come to later. But but he, at least I saw what it looked like to have some control over your own fate. And so that really did plant a seed early on. And so I get out into corporate America and I realize I'm a very impatient person. It has been one of my biggest enemies throughout the course of my career. We can talk about that if you want. Uh, part of the problem was like six months in, I was already like I've made a bad decision and I had a great deal. The president of the division I worked for. His daughter and I went to college together. She got me an interview with him. He loved me, and he basically created this rotational management position for me. So I got to see the entire company, kind of like the golden boy of this division. And I just was like, this is boring. I was like, when does the work begin? Sitting in meetings. And so I was in corporate America for six years. My final stop was the Home Depot, working for the on the corporate side of things, traveling all the time. And then finally decided in 2003, I'm out. I just can't do this anymore. I've got it. I want to go back to East Texas to raise my daughters, who at the time were two and three years old. And James, I didn't care what I did. Honestly, man, I started just looking for businesses to buy. Now, you have to understand something. At that time, I had no net worth of any kind. I mean, I've been in the in, in the workplace uh, as an adult, if you will, for six years so I didn't really have a big nest egg, but it didn't stop me. I was like, I'm out. I'm going to go find something. I'm going back to East Texas. And then I just started looking for businesses but to buy. Bro, that, that decision is what's really interesting to say, I'm at Home Depot. I'm in the corporate world there. I'm traveling. A lot of people think that's sort of the dream, like to travel for a corporation and be sort of a big wig. Yeah. What made you, you said you were impatient. Was that what led you to leave there? Part of this was ego, but part of it, I think, was uh, just accurate. A bunch of kind of clownish people that were very far above me pulling down half a million bucks a year and realizing they're just not that bright and, and knowing that it took them 25 years to get to that place. They just weren't that smart. And I was like, OK, so the, the brass ring in this deal is to either become the CEO of a division of the Home Depot, the Home Depot, or some other organization. I mean, that's just the way I've always looked at things. It's like, if I'm going to be in an organization, I'm either going to run it one day or there's, what's the point? You know, why, why be there? And maybe that's ego. I think it's just, you know, that's where I want to make decisions and be creative and whatever. And so I realized that was, I, I just could not fathom putting that kind of time into someone else's enterprise, someone else's dream, someone else's job. You know, uh, I just couldn't, fathom that and then it and then here's the real thing it wasn't about it was never about money it was never my venture into entrepreneurship was never about money in fact listener you have to understand something and i i cannot stress this more i honestly believe at some point i would file for bankruptcy i had my mindset i said this is a very strong likelihood it was in my plan that it, uh, my contingency plan okay so if we go bankrupt what are you going to do i was 28 
And so the rationale was, I'll have time to make it up. I'm smart enough. I'm creative enough. I, I think I can. It's it's worth the shot. It's worth the risk. So you you're sitting there working at Home Depot, and you've got this kind of parachute in the fact that worst comes to worst, I go bankrupt and I start over. Yeah, but that's pretty scary. I I would say you had a you had small kids at that time. That's not a typical typical thought pattern or decision. Was there already an idea of what you wanted to do instead? I mean, you started looking for businesses. What, did you already sort of have a dream? I'm so glad you asked that. There was a dream, and here's what it looked like. It was me never getting on an airplane unless it was for um, for fun and my family was with me. It was to be active in my church, when, it, it, whatever level I wanted to. If I wanted to teach a class— if I wanted to serve at the uh, the soup kitchen, whatever the case, I could be. I would be involved, engaged, and involved in my church. To be involved in my community, to to feel like when decisions are being made at the city council level or whatever, that I would have an impact, you know, for positive, for good, and and that was it. And then and then I was able to kind of exercise my entrepreneurial muscles by leading and developing people, which is my, has turns out is my favorite thing to do. That was it, man. And it really didn't, it, that's what's weird about it is it didn't matter to me whether it was a hot dog stand or a lube shop. I went, I went out to Scottsdale, Arizona and met with the executives of the little gym, which is this like little gym franchise where they have like, what do you call it? I guess just gymnastics for little kids and they have birthday parties. And they were really successful at the time. And they offered me three franchises. Again, had no clue how I was going to pay for them, but they said, "Here, we'll are they? Are they the fitness arm of Slim Jim?" Yeah, right. No, no, they're just the, the little people version of anything. Which I was like, I love my daughters, but I do not want to be involved with a bunch of other people's kids. So would that have been, you know, going back to your story about your dad? Would would that have been sort of owning a job at that point? Yeah, I did. It looks look at it from the standpoint as a franchise of buy three franchises you know, then expand and maybe have an exit. Uh, and I'll and, and like, here's the thing too, to be honest with you, I always say I was setting out into the entrepreneurial world. That's what I was doing. But really, if I'm honest, I was probably buying myself a job. I was probably still following in my dad's footsteps in that regard in that, I, because whenever I bought my real estate firm, which is what I ultimately found was I wasn't really buying it with a mindset of scaling it up, making a bunch of acquisitions and then having some major exit. It was, again, it went back to this life I was trying to design. I wanted to create the life that I had grown up with, which was, you know, I mean, my family has been in Sulphur Springs for over 100 years. They get to drive along the streets that I rode on whenever I was a kid on my bicycle. And there's just something very safe in that. I know it's not for everybody. I know some of your East Coast and West Coast listeners will probably be like, why would you ever want that? But And I get that. And I love New York. I love metropolitan areas and I visit them frequently. But that was just where I wanted to raise my daughters. And and that, and, and to be a local business owner, it's... Um, it's just fun. You get to, you get to have impact and that's what I wanted. And I really didn't care. So I really just, at that time was probably just looking to buy an occupation. And then from that, it sets you up to, to this world of entrepreneurship and, and seeing that, Oh my gosh. And then going back to what you asked earlier about, it's not traditional how this sounds scary. 
okay, first of all, I wasn't that bright. I wasn't Gary V before Gary V just saying, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks. No, I was 28 and arrogant. That's what I was, James. I was, I was too dumb to know better. And that's one of the things that I want your listener to understand is that especially the younger ones. And I tell my daughters this all the time. They're 20 and 21. It's only going to get harder to take these risks. Yes. Back whenever I did it, I can't tell you how many times people said, you're going where to do what? And, and in my, again, my kind of arrogant ego, massive ego driven mind, I'm like, what? I'm this, I'm going to Tyler, Texas. Do you have friends there? No. Have you ever sold a house? No. But what's the big deal? I th- I'll figure it out. You have a wife and two kids and a Fortune 500 company job with benefits. You're going to walk away from like, yeah, what's the big deal? In 20 years, you could be making a half a million dollars a year running a division at Home Depot. Why would you walk away from that? Exactly. You know, driving, you know, moving from the, uh, what, the C-class finally up to the S-class in Mercedes and getting the country But let's imagine that. Let's imagine that Jason Wright did not leave Home Depot and you were still there, which is a great company. And retail leadership is fantastic for a lot of people. And I did it for a long time, almost 20 years. But imagine you were still doing that. How would you, how do you think you'd feel right now? I probably feel like, and I don't want to judge, please to the listeners, I'm not judging anyone out there because let me tell you something. We need people doing that work. We do at the high, at all levels. But I think for me, I would feel like I had given up you know, one of my favorite quotes is the two most addictive things. I think I first heard from Richard Koch. He said the two most addictive things are a paycheck every two weeks and cocaine. And the first one will kill you no matter what you're doing. So imagine you get to the point where you do have the country club membership. You're getting to fly first class. All these trappings that we're to- that we we're told and get lulled into, you know, kind of in the matrix that tell you this is what it's all about. You, you, I would probably be kind of just lulled into that and. I would either be miserable or I would just be like everybody else out there going, eh, this is okay. I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have tried, but eh, it's okay too. You know, at least, at least I've got the country club membership and I get to go to the Super Bowl or all this other crap that people place such importance on that. Um, I just finally, I, I think I would be, I think I'd be, if I, if I still, I think I'd be miserable, honestly. I think I'd be empty inside, but I get, but I would law and, and what I would do, James, probably, if I'm being honest, is I'd soothe that pain with whatever the money could buy me. I, that's, I, cause I never would have been put in that position of, you know, kind of um, Shackleton, you know, in his uh, exploration of, what do you do when your back's against the wall? You've got to throw yourself into the vortex to figure out what's real and what's not. If it's just hypothetical, which looking back on that, it kind of is. But I think I'd probably be pretty freaking miserable. What about like time? You strike me as someone that has hobbies and interests and studies and you're learning new things. In that career, would you have had the time to, to do that? Absolutely not. I mean, you know, you don't own your time. Someone else does a a major portion of it. Now, again, going back to what Gary Vaynerchuk says, you know, what are you doing from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. or 7 p.m. to 3 a.m., whatever. Yeah, you can find that. But, you know, who the heck wants to be trying to do like you and I, where we're interested in deep sleep and monitoring our sleep and monitoring our health and being good family men and trying to create something at three o'clock in the morning? That's just, it doesn't work. The only, so you have to look at, you go, that is a path, but you need to have a way out, a a way out of that at some point. Um, No, 
you, you don't own your time. Somebody else does. I, if, you know, whenever I was flying to Irvine, California frequently uh, or every week, you know, a car coming to get me to take me to the airport every Sunday night or early Monday morning, telling my children goodbye and then getting on an airplane and going to Vinings, Georgia and not coming home till Thursday afternoon. No, I, I don't have. And that was that was it. I wanted to own that time. I wanted to be there to watch my children grow up. I want to be home. You know, I want to be there for their school events, whatever. And so does sometimes does it mean that you can just put everything put the brakes on as an entrepreneur or a small business owner whenever those things come? And there's is there a sacrifice when that happens? Absolutely. And all of a sudden it goes from the VP of sales telling you you have to go on the airplane to a customer saying you better do this right now or you're going to lose my business. So you still have a boss, at least that boss that's your customer. You feel like you own that and you can adjust your time accordingly as part of a much greater plan. So, yeah. I'm really curious if there was a specific moment before you left Home Depot, a last straw, a conversation, something you missed with your family, something you couldn't do. That was just that was the last that was it. James, I'm so glad you asked that question. And to the listener, we did not prep this. That was just that was, that's just you being a very good interviewer, my man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yes, I, I just know when I left my job, there was a specific moment. And yeah. otherwise, it's easy. I mean, like you said, you just it's almost like you fall asleep. And 20 years later, you've got a, a fully funded pension, a stocked up yep. retirement, and you've got a gold yeah. watch and y your family maybe doesn't know you. That's right. That's right. So, and so in, in the family, that's a great, great, uh, lead up. So I mentioned that a car would come get me <clears throat> every, uh, every week, take to the airport. My oldest daughter, Rylan was, uh, three at the time, you know, I would try to time it. I didn't know what, I didn't know which would have the greatest impact on her. So if I left on Sunday, I would leave late at night after she had gone to bed so that she would, I wouldn't have to see the tearful goodbye. If I left on Monday, Rylan, like her dad, is an early riser. I, no matter how early I got up, she was going to be up with me. And then she, then I'd have to see her crying as I left. You know, I'd have to be leaving her behind. And so the, the, the first deal where I would leave on Sunday night, I think about, oh, my gosh, she's three years old. She has no concept of time. She wakes up and just has no clue whether I'm going to be there or not. I'm, just, I'm not there. And I just, I, that just ate at me. But here's what happened. Here's your moment. Here's what you're looking for. One day, I guess it must have been a Monday because she was awake whenever I was leaving. Car pulls up and she's coloring or something. And um, I went to tell her goodbye. And all of a sudden, she just basically said, bye, dad. Bye, daddy. Whatever. You know, it just it almost like had no it didn't even move her at all. And man, that's what I knew. You got it. You got to change this. I'm not I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to do that. I don't care what the financial sacrifice is. I don't care how hard this is and I'm what I'm about to set out on. I'm not, no, I'm not going to be that dad. And so that's it, man. That's whenever I um, really, it became real for me and I, I set the wheels in motion. And um, so that, that was probably that seminal moment that said, okay, do this. And that was it. And what did your wife say? She was all in. She's like, I mean, fortunately, it was like, you know, okay. You know, I mean, she was she was staying at home at the time. And um, it kind of I had her convinced that, 
you know, no matter what, I knew what I was doing. I was always that kind of guy that I, I and I'm a very, very, it's, it's funny. And this was to your listener. I am a really cautious guy. I mean, it's, I'm such a contradiction. I mean, I take these huge risks, but yet I'm such a thoughtful conservative. I don't color outside the lines. I drive the speed limit. I just, so it was weird. And I think that meant, but I'm also a big dreamer and I can convince you that I can pull it off because when it comes to sink or swim, I'm going to freaking swim. I just, and, and so she, she knew that she, she'd been through, you know, she, she knew that. How do you get that confidence to know that you'll be able to swim and not sink? Because there's a lot of people listening to this that are in a job and they yep. have a dream and it maybe isn't yep. that job and that's okay. But they, they have kids at home. They're afraid yep. that they won't be able to support them and yep. they maybe aren't sure if they can really make it on their own in yeah. some way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, whoever the listener is, and I don't say this is false humility. I do not please understand. I'm being as genuine, as transparent as I can possibly be. You're probably smarter than me, whatever that means. You, you probably are. And so I would tell your listener, ask yourself, evaluate how challenging it really is to go hungry in the United States of America for everybody. Okay. For everybody. And if you're listening to this show, then that's the, we already know that says something about you. First of all, you listen to podcasts, which you can go into all the the different demographics that that kind of appeal to that and the correlations and all that. So, so folks, without being arrogant and conceited, just think for a moment who you are, the advantages you have, your education, where you are, the people that are surrounding you, and realize that. And this is what I came to, James, is like. Most of our worst fears, you know, like Balzac said, most of our worst fears lie in anticipation. Most things that we think, the worst case scenario almost never comes to pass. And then let's take it a step further. I told you my bankruptcy and then I grew up, my dad growing up, bankruptcy was the worst thing that could ever happen to a human being. It was because it, it had taught it was he associated that with your your intelligence, your honor, you know, your your responsibility to your family. So I grew up with bankruptcy being the absolute worst thing that uh, anyone could go through uh, aside from, I guess, terminal illness, basically. And so to the listener, I would say. First of all, whatever your worst case scenario is, it's probably not going to come to pass. And then let's take it a step further. Let's go a little deeper. Whatever the hell that worst case scenario is, I mean, come on, bring it to light and really think about it. Would it be that bad if you failed, but now you've got the confidence if you do it right? And you will. Most people think, well, God, I would, I would fail. I'd feel like a failure. Yeah, maybe for a little bit. But you know what? Um, you could listen to podcasts like this and realize you just did something that few people have the guts to do that most people just talk about and you learn something and that is to be respected. And it will make every other it's just like anything else. It will make every other big freaking move you make in your life that much easier. There's so much to be gained by taking that risk. And so I guess, James, the bottom line is I would tell anybody it's so what's the worst case scenario? you're and you're not going to go hungry you're, you look around you, you've got family they're not going to let you starve you know and so what if you have to go like, what if you have to swallow your pride and go work somewhere you never thought you would and now we're in a great position man with what's happened in the world this is what i've told several people that have really struggled through 
COVID and other things. We're like, man, this is a great time to be struggling because everybody's going through it. It's kind of like when the financial crisis, if you lost your job or you had a, you know, you're all of a sudden you're driving a, a Honda Civic and you used to drive a Lexus, people go, I, I get yeah. it, man. It's not strange right now to say you were let go or you're unemployed and you're searching for a new opportunity. Your friends and family are, will have sympathy. They're going to understand. And you know, they don't have to know. Do you think you have to tell everyone you just quit? I mean, no, I, you know, I actually, um, Here's a, a a shameful plug. I've got a, a book that will look amazing next to anyone's toilet that I wrote in uh, 2010 and then re-released in 2017. I mean, if you want a beautiful picture of me in a gorgeous blazer by your toilet, let me know. I'll send you a book or go to Amazon. <laughs> it's, out there. it's called Push Play, Taking Your Life Off Pause. And one of the things I did talk about in that book was you need to have people that you can call and you can let them know what you're doing. And you need to have those people that will be real with you, that you can show them your plan. And, and, and to the listener, that doesn't mean you have to have a full-blown business plan. Yes, more detailed, better, whatever. But have somebody that you know and you trust that will tell you, eh, I don't know. I just – I know you well. I know your personality, and I think you're about to get into something that you're – I think you've got, you got a blind spot here because I know you, and I love you, and I'm telling you this is not what you should be doing. Uh, but you also need that same person that you trust enough that when they say, I think you could do this, I think this is I, this makes sense. When, and that's that's my favorite thing. And for and again, to kind of flip it around, if you're that person that someone has come to and said, should I do this or should I not? One of the best things you can tell them that is genuine. It's not just hyperbole. It's what something I've heard that's really made me move off center a couple of times is when people go, you know what? That makes sense. That that makes sense for you. It's such a simple thing. And then uh, and so ask them the question. If you're thinking about doing it, tee it up and, and put them in the position. Go, hey, you know me. Does this make sense? And, um, you know, so do, but you don't have to tell everybody and you don't. And, and you know what, James, I'm glad you asked that because you just made me think of something, too. Most people would never if, if we're if we're going to this road if you got someone that decides that they're going to open up a screen printing t-shirt shop right or they're going to go they figure out a way they're going to go buy some storage units they're going to be a real estate investor they're going to start with some storage units whatever the case may be you're about to do something that a lot of other people would love to do but don't have the guts and they're humans you know god bless them show them grace they're humans but some of them can't overcome that jealousy and that seeing that you might be doing something that they would give anything to have the guts to do. But they're sitting there going, I could never do that because I have kids, because I have a mortgage. My wife would never support that. And so those people, which, by the way, they're probably not in your inner circle anyway, but they could sneak in. You don't want to tell too many people because those are it's powerful. I think um, well, it's like a five to one ratio that we have to hear, you know, some, that when we talk, when we do self-talk, it takes us telling ourselves something positive five times to really let the positivity sink in and make a difference versus the one negative hit. So you can have five people tell you, yeah, James, that makes sense. You should start a podcast. But that one person that goes, Really? I don't know. I don't for, know, James. For some reason, that one person's who I listen to the most. It's just... Everybody does. Everybody does. Just because you're a freaking human being. And if they give you a legitimate 
objection of why you shouldn't do something, okay, then you should evaluate that. But most of the time, it at least seems to me now looking back, I asked the wrong person. They had never dreamed of doing what I was trying to do. And so then they were just projecting that they wouldn't do that onto me. But okay, so you went dramatic. I went dramatic. We just kind of left and went all in on entrepreneurship, go go broke or, or whatever. But what about for for someone... I think there's there's probably a middle ground where you don't have to go all in and you can start small and get some sales or get some traction or do you have any examples of that of maybe starting a little bit smaller instead of going all in? Yeah, I'll, I'll, a really good example is very close to home. My uh, stepbrother, Craig, who is a very successful real estate investor at this point. Uh, so my stepmom she gets her real estate license and starts selling. She's the one who told me I should buy a real estate company. And she, and she invited me to come in with her into business. I was like, I don't want to be in a family business. No, sorry. I mean, thank you, but no, probably a big mistake because my brother has a lot more money than I do now. And he did, he went into business with her, but so she becomes a very high producing agent this before she owned the company. And Craig, my brother at the time was a ranch manager. And what he did and you think I'm conservative financially and otherwise Craig is extremely, he still has the first dollar he ever made. And so he decides to keep his ranch manager's position and starts basically acting as an assistant to my stepmom. And so he's selling a few houses, doing some deals, builds up a nest egg, buys his first duplex, still has the ranch manager's job. And then once he understands that business and he can, even if, even if he's going to take a hit financially for a year or two, he at least knows what he's doing, you know, which is smarter than what I did. I had never sold a house in my life and I, I bought a real estate company in a town far, far from where I lived. It was about to, and, and that was going to make my living. Now I did hedge my bets in a way sort of, you know, by buying, that's why I bought an existing company versus doing a startup or versus just being a big agent or just being a, an agent to start with. That was my kind of my hedge. But what Craig did was he figured out the business, understood the mechanics of it, real estate brokerage and investment. And once he understood it, he left the, uh, the ranch manager's job, which is by the way, a pretty intense job. I mean, there's a, there's always something to do. It was a large ranch that he was managing. And, um, and so there's a good example. So yeah, it can absolutely be done. Uh, the thing that I struggle with, James, and I don't know that I have the real answer for this. Um, there has to there has to be a point where that you get to. It's, it's, there's never going to be just endless runway. You have to at some point blow up the end of the runway and know that the canyon is before you somewhere and you 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 need to make you need to you know kind of what the proverbial go to the restroom or get off the throne to put it mildly uh because i just that pressure will bring something out in you that uh that nothing else will you know so you have to have you give yourself a, a and i say give yourself a timeline but at some point go yeah, I'm either in this, I'm doing it, or I'm not. But yeah, it can be a transition for sure. Well, that's a that's a good point. Did you did you and your wife set up a, a timeline and where if you didn't make this work in this many months, you were going to go back to Home Depot? I, I would have gone back to Home Depot. Um, no, 
We didn't. And let me tell you something. Okay. And to the listener, that's a great question. I probably thought, and is there, this is kind of a warning as well as a um, instruction. If you buy a business, you can't just go and it fails. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen that make it's, it's, it takes a lot to unwind. You're stuck. And that had been my pattern, James. I, if I didn't like a job, I mean, it was the late 90s, early 2000s during the tech boom, and I interviewed really well. So I could get a new job every month. I think I had six jobs before it was all said and done in a six-year period ending at Home Depot. I didn't tell you about the middle part where I was just kind of like this, you know, hop, you know, hopscotching across corporate America and uh, startups and little things there. But if you do this, you're stuck. And so I probably went in, yes, with that mindset. If I fail, if it goes bankrupt, uh, it's okay. I'll go back to Houston and find something. I'll go to Dallas. I mean, Tyler, Texas, where I live, it's a town of 100,000 people. Not a lot of big gigs here, right? You know, it's just you're either a lawyer, a doctor, or you have oil money, uh, or do something, or you sell, or you're a realtor. Yeah, basically, I think that's the trick. I think you you hit it on the head that you have to have a plan that you can go back to if it doesn't work to really have the confidence to go all in. But I want to change gears completely because I'm really curious now about. You, you 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 did the the, the brokerage real, the uh, business for a while and now mm-hmm. you're you're kind of working on a whole bunch of new endeavors and mm-hmm. entrepreneurial pursuits. So what are you working on now? Right now, what I'm trying to do is first I've got my podcast, which is uh, just the Jason Wright Show. The motto is improve always and always. It's where I've taken and it started with the Texas Titans podcast. That was my first podcast where really I, I I've developed through different business ventures. You know, just being a, I don't want to say networker, just a good connector and somebody who's made a lot of friends that have been very kind to me to stay in my life and guide me and help me and mentor me. I had this great network of people. And so I was like, I want to hear their stories. I want to do a podcast. I love to communicate. I want to inspire people. So I started the Texas Titan podcast where I interview people all over the, the Lone Star State that have done either professional athletes, authors a lot of entrepreneurs and business people. And then I've moved into a direction of, you know, my favorite thing is self-improvement. I love the nutritional aspect, the mental aspect, the physical aspect, but also, so it's, it's very selfish and selfless at the same time. So this is going to sound so cheesy to the listener. Okay. But I, you know, I posted it probably for the third time yesterday on my Instagram, which is the Gandhi quote of be the change you want to see in the world. Right. I firmly believe that if you and I, if we are the absolute best versions of ourselves, that the fruit of that will spill over into our community, our families, uh, and our fellow man. And so in taking that, I had to be really honest with who I am. And to the listener, I tell you right now, again, I don't want to generalize. I don't want to judge, but I doubt that many of you have really, some of you do. But I bet there's a lot. There's a large portion of people listening to this that really don't know who they are or they know and they keep ignoring it. You see, here's the thing, James. I was always this guy, the guy that wanted to be here talking to you, having fun, telling stories, talking about business, creating content, uh, doing personal coaching. Yes. What am I doing now? I go now kind of like what and I'm pleased. Don't misunderstand me. I do not in any way consider myself at the level of Jim Collins. But Peter Drucker once told Jim Collins, you can either run a world class company or help other people run theirs, but you can't do both. 
I had to come to the realization that even though I looked like on paper, and if you meet me, I look like the guy you want to hire to be the CEO of your startup. I mean, you know, charismatic, rel- at least the degrees make me look like I'm smart. I got an MBA from SMU, so I, I you know, got the credentialing done. I can talk the talk. So what I did for years and years was I I played to that expectation of the image people had of me. But I created the damn thing. I created that image. And then I got in the trap of, well, I got to live up to it. But then something happens when you turn 40. I always tell people your your I don't give a crap meter just goes way into the red. You just don't care. And you finally get it took me that long to really get real with myself. And so I realized what I love doing is communicating with and inspiring people to be their best selves. And so that's what I'm trying to do now. And I'm creating this this world where through my through writing, you know, I hope to start writing at least a book a year through the podcast through and then and then taking these skills and going to small business owners who are entrepreneurs that are starting out like I was when I was 28 and helping them to dive into some of the stuff that you and I are constantly looking at, you know, go find out why flow is a good thing for you to understand. It's not just some woo woo thing, but getting yourself in the proper mental state and understanding how to manipulate your neurochemicals to a way that you're going to perform more work in two hours than most people will perform in five days is important. Let me show that to you because I would have given anything at 28 when I was starting out to know these things. And so now that's what I'm doing. That's who I am. I don't. And and by the way, James, I I can't remember if I told you this yesterday or not, but a revelation I had with one of my friends from Home Depot, who's still one of my best friends in the world. He stayed in uh, the corporate retail world for a lot longer than I did brilliant, smart guy. Now one of my coaching clients, a guy named Cullen Barbado. Cullen, if you listen to this, and I'm going to make you listen, I'm going to make him listen to your show. You got at least another listener out there. Um, I told him at lunch a couple weeks ago when he was in town or he was in Dallas and I met him over there. I said, you know, I've reached a point where I don't want anything money can buy. I don't want, I need things that it takes money to buy. So listener, there's a difference, but James, I don't want anything that money can buy. And it wasn't until I got real with who I am and got out of that world and trying to live up to that image that I had created and thus created the expectation of being that allowed me to go, you give me a black t-shirt and some cool jeans and an idea for a cool blog. And I'm a happy and a great cup of coffee, which I got to tell you about this cup of coffee I made. Okay, <laughs> all right. So let's chase this rap. We got to chase this rap real quick, dude. Um, if listener, if you want, if you're fasting and you want, and you're sick of just black coffee. Now, granted, I know some of the purists, and I'm with you most times. You're not supposed to put anything in it, but you put one teaspoon of cacao, three drops of stevia, and uh, and a, a packet of four sigmatic with lion's mane. Okay. So there's, I think that whole thing has maybe five calories. So there, there is some metabolic, you know, ignition there, but then here's the key. Oh, it's a peppermint, a cap full of peppermint. <laughs> and then you put that, you put that in your bullet blender, uh, James Quandall. It is magical, man. It's frothy. It's foamy. So it's listener, we're going to put links to everything that Jason and I have talked about over in the show notes at quandall.com slash right. That's quandall.com slash right, W-R-I-G-H-T. And I'm a big fan of Four Sigmatic's Lion's Mane Mushroom as well. And it's funny you mentioned peppermint because behind me I'm diffusing 
uh, peppermint oil in the diffuser, ah, you which, do that. which helps me focus. And then I've got this essential oil roll-on stick that's yep. just got uh, peppermint oil, orange, lemon, and frankincense. And so I put a little bit nice. of that on my wrist before doing a podcast, and then it helps me to, to keep focus. But the lion's mane, what's really cool about lion's mane is one week a month, I do a decaf week where I don't drink any caffeine, and I just kind of let my uh, caffeine uh, receptors reset. And, you know, trying to publish two articles a week and running a business and doing everything else I'm doing without caffeine is is tough. But you put a packet of the Four Sigmatic Lion's Mane Mushroom in tea or hot water or in a smoothie or whatever, and it feels to me like I had caffeine. It burns really clean. Yeah, it's really good stuff. It's really good stuff. The one warning I would give everybody there, if you do if you do the blending to get that frothy feel, which it just changes the texture of it, it's just it's really kind of magical. Open the lid very slowly because I think it is from the mushroom. It like foams, it gets that air. It's either the cacao or the mushroom. I don't know. But open real slowly. It's like shaking a Coke up and opening it. So but I'm telling you, you do that. And, it, and if you do bullet, bulletproof coffee, instead of just stirring it in your cup, if you will put it in a blender, game changer. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So do you do you um, grind your coffee or do you get pre-ground? Oh, no, no, no. No, I grind my own. I grind so my own beans. I want to, I know, uh, so I got a couple questions. So was that having enough money, was that a dollar amount or was that a state of mind? State of mind. I didn't have the money. So you didn't have you didn't have the money to buy anything you want you wanted. Oh no no no. Okay. No. State of mind. I got what you're saying. I thought you were going back before I bought the company. No. Bring it to the present when I said that. No. My wants. Okay, so you and I and, and granted, I'm not gonna start preaching or doing a Sunday school lesson, but you and I we're both we both share a, a, a faith uh, as um, Christians and the Bible says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Right. And most people think that, you know, some people take that and they, they twist it. They think that's kind of what we call prosperity gospel, right? Oh, if I just love the Lord, I get whatever I want. And the reality is that's a bunch of garbage. What happens is when you go down a path of a life and you really know who you are and you're really in this zone of being able to savor the things that are not that expensive, but can yield the greatest joy that money actually can't buy, like um, coffee, L like a good cup of coffee can be an amazing luxury that doesn't cost that much money. A black T-shirt. I, I love my black T-shirts because they because now it doesn't just mean it's not just about fashion. I'm not trying to impress anybody. Instead, my mind has shifted. I put myself in this world where it's more important to me to limit my decision making. That's that's the victory. Doesn't cost any money. That's the that's that's the victory. So therefore, now give me a cool black T-shirt. Give me a guy like James Quandall that you're not charging me to be on your podcast. Well, I haven't I haven't sent you the bill, but okay. Well, buddy, just just don't wait for that check. You know, doing this, man. This is the joy. There's no freaking. Uh, there's no Range Rover. There's no trip to Tahiti. There's no because I've set up a life that those things they will be temporary pleasures. And if my family is with me, if my wife and daughters are with me in Tahiti, that's going to be awesome. But I don't have to go to Tahiti for that because I put myself in this position. And to and, and, and I think to the listener, um, I did not have 
FU money and I still don't have FU money when I came to this realization, it's re it would probably be pretty easy to go, oh, I've got all the money in the world to go buy the material things, but I'm choosing this more simplified life. No, what I had to do was go, I could go. I, now I've seen the reality of who I am, what I really want, what really makes me happy. And it turns out I'm okay with it not being the biggest house in the neighborhood. I'm okay with it being creating a podcast that if one person listens to, the joy is not looking at my downloads. You and I talked about this yesterday. The joy for me is creating something out of thin air that was not there before that is now that I have the right intentions. It matches my values. It matches the life I want to reflect. It's who I am. And I can look at it and there's no pretense. It's all about is who I am. And if you don't like it, that's okay. So those are, that's what I meant, man. It's like the things I get the most joy from now, um, you, you can't buy them. And I, I don't, I know that sounds like, uh, there's that old song, the best things in life are free, the sun, the sun, the moon, whatever. Um, and it's when you get to, when you start walking down this path of realizing what really matters in life, uh, and what lasts, you know, that's, that's where, that's where I've gotten there. I, and, and it's little revelations will start coming to people, you know, like folks out there listening, truly evaluate your dream car. Those of you who have been able to be fortunate enough to, 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 to go out and acquire your dream car. If you've had it for more than a year, is it still your dream car? Do you still get in it every morning and have that rush of dopamine that you had at the dealership or maybe even the first couple of days? Probably not because now you're just pissed yeah. because the, the knobs, the, the lettering on the knobs is wearing, are wearing off. All of a sudden you're looking at the seats starting to kind of show the wrinkles. You're like, oh my gosh. And so when you come to the point of realizing that every single material thing in this world is temporary and it's outward, then you realize it's just you start digging deeper for things that are more that are lasting. I know that that's now we're getting a little deep here, but that's just kind of what it that's that's what it is to me. Yeah. So what else? I, I'm curious if there's a couple other examples besides a nice piping cup of black coffee or your black shirt or Tahiti. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. small things that don't cost any money that bring you joy? Okay, so um time with my wife is the single most enriching thing. Yeah, we we're, we're best friends. We, uh, we have another small business that she has built, that she runs, that she's the brains behind through blood, sweat and tears over a decade of just killing it. That we get to we get to uh, I, I get to play a small supporting role by just basically being her cheerleader that that. And then Wait, so she's the entrepreneur. We need to bring her on the show. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And she's a uh, and you know what? She I've tried my best, James. Maybe we can do that. But she's like it took me forever to get her out on social media because she just wants to work and stay behind the scenes. And well, she's probably, she, it, I think that proves she's smarter than you and I. <laughs> Absolutely. And books, books, man. I mean, I cannot tell you. And I think that's probably as I evaluate where I've really, really kind of dug into this mindset of, of just contentment and realizing the material stuff is just kind of, it's kind of stupid and easy. You know, Jerry Seinfeld once said that he thought that cussing for standups was lazy. It's an easy laugh. It's lazy. Yeah, to, to be you have to really be able to be creative to get the laughs that Jerry Seinfeld gets without cursing, right? Um, when I see someone driving up in a Lamborghini, that I think to themselves, that's lazy. 
that's lazy. That's, that's, that's the best that you can do to feel whatever you're trying to feel. And again, not judging. I'm just saying that just seems lazy to me, but a book when you, it's so cheap. I mean, an expensive book these days is right. What? 20 bucks. I mean, I bought that freaking mammoth textbook size thing I can use to lift weights with that you helped Ben Greenfield put together. I think I paid less than 30 bucks for that thing. And think and think about this, Jason. Think of how many books Ben himself read to create that book. So you buy that book and you maybe got 500 books of information distilled into there. And that's what you're getting with any of these books is you're you're getting to listen to James Outcher or John Lee Dumas or Robert Herjavec or Jesse Itzler. You pick up one of their books and you got to hang out with them for 10 years of their life while they were kind of creating that, that, that life. So yeah, I agree with you. And what's even more magical is, uh, you know, what, what, like what we're doing right now is the fact that imagine if, if we were to go back during the industrial revolution, uh, Carnegie probably would have had, and Vanderbilt and Rockefeller or some of their top lieutenants would have probably had a podcast. We could have listened in on the guys that were shaping the, the, you know, the country, you can do that now. I mean, Ray Dalio, you can go listen or read what Ray's thinking either on somebody else's podcast, you know, James Altucher, who you, you and I both, that's how we met. You know, that's one of the most brilliant minds out there. You get to listen to what he's thinking. I, to me, that's the most useful podcast in all of America. As far as say how to from a guy that's just in it for the right reasons, Tim Ferriss, what he's doing, you can just go listen to these guys and what they're thinking and, doesn't cost you a penny, man. I mean, and so it's the same. That's my deal with books once. And and then when I started realizing what an incredible device that we have between our ears and this thing that we call a body and how just complex, how unbelievably just intelligently designed we are, just, the, just how the craziness of it. Then it's like, there's nothing I can buy that can, you know, even compare to this thing that we call a body and our mind and our brain. So it's like, man, let's feed that. Let's work on that. That's the closest thing I have to a hobby is uh, is right now. It's trying to work on my my mind. And, you know, I, like I'm looking at uh, I've got a call today. I'm thinking about taking uh, uh, one of the flow research collective or whatever it is for. um that uh, Stephen Kotler has, you know, I mean, it, it, you're, those are the things, once you start realizing those things, it's like, it, it really is like, man, deciding to take the blue pill or the red pill. It's like stepping out of the matrix and going, I told my daughters this, uh, or one of my, my youngest daughter were walking the other day and somehow the matrix got brought up and, and we live in a, in a pretty nice neighborhood. We live in a small house in a nice neighborhood in Tyler. And we were walking around most of the bigger houses. And I said, you see all these houses? I said, the people didn't choose them. The people did, the people that live in them, they didn't choose them. They were chosen for them. Most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. Society told them this is what someone at your income level in this geographic region, this is the house you should have. And if you don't have it, then you're signaling that you're lesser. And so they did. They bought into it. And see the car that they're driving, see that Range Rover? They didn't choose the Range Rover. The Range Rover the, the, was chosen for them. So you can make the decision to go, screw that. 
I don't need that. And again, it's now it's not just a willpower thing. It has to you have to get a little deep. You have to really evaluate. And, and almost it gets to the point where everything, man, this is where I am in life, James. And again, I'm not judging. I love I like nice stuff, dude. I mean, the old school Land Rover Defenders, I'm in. Those are cool. They're they're killer. But give me an old Jeep that probably costs as much as a freaking Ferrari. I'm in. I love it. Okay, so I'm not trying to be self-righteous here. But I think that at this point in life, um, I'm just the point where all of it looks very silly to me. Just really tactically, to get into that mindset that you have, do you think you need to have the ability to have that house and have that car to get into that sort of that mental place? It's the beauty of it, man. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You've the first step one. So if I were to, to put together a... Uh, I, actually, I, I, do, I want to redirect you. Let's say you're talking to your daughters. How do you pass that mentality on to them? in in steps uh, uh first of all let them know that all the rules that they're following were made up like steve Jobs said most of the rules that they follow were made up by people no smarter than them so I, I i start to make them think the speed limit that you drive that's a rule that's a law follow it posing in with and creating this picture for instagram right now wearing you know chloe chanel or whatever that's not a rule that's a societal rule that you need to question so Find out now if you decide that part of your creativity and you can leverage for whatever it is that you ultimately want to be requires that I'm in. OK, fine. It's, it's part of a strategy. But for I, I try to tell them all the time, figure out who you are and be honest, be real with who you are. It's hard, James. It is so hard to truly face who we are, because the thing is, if we really evaluate and we're willing to to go ahead and take that i can't remember who said there's a quote about basically he who can um, truly uh, evaluate themselves without a trembling hand i'm terrible terribly paraphrasing this you you can't do it it's it's trembling it's scary because you're gonna find stuff you don't like you may you may be jason wright and be over 40 years old and realize you've been living a life that you, it's not who you really are you were just good at it like i i told you i went to foot i went to a, uh, college on a football scholarship here's a little secret i hated football from the first time I played, I couldn't stand it, but my dad loved it and everybody expected me to do it. And I was good at it. So I did it. That's life. That's what life is for a lot of people. And I tell my daughters, just because you're good at something, just because you're able to convince people you're good at something and it becomes what other people expect of you, it doesn't mean it's what you have to do. So be honest with yourself. Yeah. And it can change, right? And it, yeah, absolutely. You could, you could have loved football and then got to college and said, I don't like this anymore and then change it. And that's what I'm trying to do with them, James, is to be that parent. You know, one of my favorite stories is uh, Stevie Nicks, uh, whenever she decided that she didn't want to go to college, she wanted instead to be a, a musical artist. Right. So she goes out to San Francisco or wherever to, to the West Coast. And her dad said that her dad made a deal with her. He said, OK, you got four years. And because that's the time of college, she said if you're if you're not making any headway in four years, then I want you to go to school. But what a badass that dad was that Stevie Nicks had that was able to say, hey, go chase this dream. But let's have a plan. Let's not just go willy nilly here. I'm willing. He was willing to say there is no rule that says you must go to college right now. I'm going to join you in this dream. And she went out and met Lindsey Buckingham and the rest is history. Right. 
That's what I tell my girls. I'm like, there's nothing you can bring to me that's too crazy. Now, if you want to go to New York and be on Broadway, I'm going to say, fantastic. I wish somebody had told me when I was your age, it's okay to have that dream. It's okay to get outside the matrix and break the rules and do something that isn't, that isn't so conforming to societal norms. It's okay. But I'm, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to guide you. Yeah. You got to create a plan. You need a plan to do it. You can't just show up. Do they have do they have dreams that they've told you? Well, so they're, they're, they couldn't be any more different. I mean, just look at the schools they go to. Ryland's at the University of Alabama. Abby's at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and they they they're they're that that's who they are. And Abby is a creative, and Abby is someone that yes, she does listen. She she she's listening to the tips and she realizes she may have to get a, a quote unquote normal job for a few years. But I, but she's not going to give up on her her art and painting and the things that she loves to do to create. And, and Rylan, uh, Rylan's just kind of just enjoying life. We'll probably go out and do the corporate thing for a while. And that's what's really hard as a parent. I'm that parent where, like we talked about, James Altucher tries to convince his kids don't go to college. You know, growing up in my era, it was like you have to play sports and do this. It's very hard for me to tell my girls and for them to buy in, man. It's, it's weird for those of you who don't have children yet. Where do you get children their college age? And it's so ingrained in them that there's this one and only path to success that telling them as their parent, you don't have to go and work at wherever, fill in the blank, you know, Fortune 500 company. You don't have to do that. Um it's hard. And so I think Rylan will be more fall in line with kind of the normal path. She'll be successful. She's got an incredible personality. She's funny as hell. She'll do well. Abby, I think she's buying into it a little more. And Abby also at the, at the because she was the younger one. And because I came to these revelations a little bit later in my life, you know, there was no Gary Vaynerchuk whenever I was uh, their age. I told Abby, uh, my wife and I both, we said, Hey, look, for the money that we're about to spend at the university of Colorado, if you would rather us help you start a business because she wants to, you know, she loves coffee. She, she's a foodie. I'm like, we will help support you in that endeavor instead of going to Boulder. Well, you know, she's a little, she's like, that sounds great. And she got, she understood it, but she's still like, but I want to go to school. That's hard because when, you know, you're in, you're in school, you're told to, I mean, you're basically conditioned that's to break out of that mold as a 17 or 18 year old, I mean, that I, I don't know how it would be possible. Well, look who you're taught by, man. You're taught by a bunch of people that are in an institution. They're living the institutionalized life. They're like freaking, uh, what was his name that Red talks about from the Shawshank Redemption? You're, you're learning from a bunch of, bunch of people that have been institutionalized. So what the hell else are they going to reflect? Yeah, and we need that. And we majority of the people, we, we, we want that. And kind of um, talking about this show, it's, it's really about finding out how leaders not only thrive at work, because that's a lot of times what we talk about, but then how they're thriving at home at the same time. And I think it's yeah. so easy to really focus on people's business successes when we don't focus on the people that are not only winning in business, but winning at home too. And, yep. and I think that you are doing that. And um, you found sort of that elusive elusive balance between work success, financial success, cultural success, and then also family and time and taking care of your body, taking care of your mind, taking care of your spirit. 
um, worrying about your community and your social life. How did you do that? I mean, that's, that's, that's a loaded question, I guess, but what does that mean to you? It's, it's, uh, it's a great question, James, but here's the way I would sum it up. You have to make things a priority that most people aren't thinking should be made a priority. You have to put things in your calendar that most people won't put in their calendar. Most people, if you open up their, their, their calendar on their, on their uh, iPhone, it's probably full of meetings, coffees, you know, uh, assignments that are due from work, whatever the case may be. It's rarely writing. It's rather quiet time. It's rather, it's blank space, you know, uh, or, or that's it, or there's nothing on it that you purposely, you realize you value your time to such a degree. Like I did a blog post a while back about if you look at Bill Gates and Warren Buffett's calendars, you would think those things are so packed that there's no way to get on it. But in fact, there's very little on it. Gary Keller, who wrote the one thing, the founder of Keller Williams, he keeps a calendar that barely has anything on it. So he's, he leaves it open for, um, opportunities to come about. So I think it's, it's all about prioritizing and it's, it's being okay with, now this is the thing that again, not because I was smart, but just because there was something early on in me that placed a priority on this was fitness. When I finally realized that the single greatest machine that I own for business, for family, for anything that I'm going to do in life is my body. Then I realized I got to take care of this thing. I really do. And then when I started the, learning the value of reading and those sorts of things, but I think it all comes down to making those things a priority and, and looking at life, not as something that you, there's just these compartments of there's my job, there's my family, there's my health and wellness, but instead there's a blueprint, right? And you look at a house and there was blueprints at one time that evolved into this entire house. That's the way our life is, right? It's like, it's all these components. And it's, it's when you start to focus on this life that you're building and you're blueprinting and prioritizing versus these little compartments. It would look really weird if you, if you built a new house and it had this unbelievable master bedroom, a so-so living room, a weird unmatched kitchen. Yeah, that would look weird. And then there's a bathroom but, out in the backyard because you forgot about it. <laughs> you forgot about it. Yeah. And and then before you know it, because you built it so crappy and you only focused on whatever area of the house, the whole thing burns down eventually because you forgot to put in whatever safety measures. That's the way life is, James. I think that it, you have to step back and truly map this thing out, blueprint it out. And, and, and when you do that, uh, and, and then another thing, man, is what, and this again, all of this to the listener, it's not because I'm smarter. I've got it all together. I've just figured a lot of this out the hard way by screwing up over and over and over again. Um, I'll have to have you on the ma- show again and we can just cover all your screw ups. I think that that would make people feel I'm in, good. I'm in, I'm in, that would take up. Yeah. We, we, could do we might have to schedule two hours for that one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I just wanted you to tell the listener that um, make it a priority. Make and be selfish. Be very selfish. Get pissed off when life comes trying to get you to react to it instead of you being able to proactively affect life. And, th- and there, there is that option. So many people wake up every morning and just immediately start reacting. The alarm goes off and they react. I've got to be here at this time. I've got to be here at this time. The reason I try to get up really early in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Jocko Willink makes it 
popular and I love Jocko, but more than anything, unlike him, I don't care about the enemy that's on the other side of the world in the cave trying to kill me. What I care about is this thing called life that is in perpetual motion, that I have a choice. I can either react to it or I can at least to the best of my ability set myself up to proactively leverage it. And once you start doing that, once you start proactively leveraging what life has to offer to meet the needs of who you've discovered that you really are, then it all just kind of comes together. Not all at once. And I'll, I'll be 90 years old still trying to figure it out. But, you know, um, but that's the way I always want to look at it. I don't want to react to life. I want to wake up and proactively leverage what life has to offer me. Do you consider balance in a lot of what you do? Is that a, is that a part of your blueprint when you're designing your day? Yeah. So it's very rare that Jimlin, like I'm in my home office right now. It's very rare that Jimlin is here with me, my wife, and I'm pounding away at the computer. Uh, if she's home with me, she's, she's priority. I'm going to be, and, and, and sometimes, you know, it's like, it's it, it, usually we're not home till like six, six thirty. you know, the store doesn't close till six. And so she's home six thirty seven. But on the weekends or something, I'm sitting there on a Sunday going, oh, my gosh, you know, I haven't got the Vitruvian letter out. Or like I was telling you yesterday, I'm, I'm procrastinating. I need to go. But I'm like, no, it, it, it's OK. Because, again, I, it's it's my thing. And again, go back to where this all started as an entrepreneur, as a creator. I don't think there's people out there going, oh, my gosh, where's Jason's newsletter? What's going on? No. Well, I've been like, wondering, oh. but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you did ask me or say, but that's just because you're a friend and you're kind. But uh, but it's like, yeah, I uh, I do. There is a balance, and I think you. It, and it also, and it comes to clear communication. You need to figure out, you know, when your family is there, when that time can be. And then here's another thing I'm really working at on the balance thing is like, when you're doing something, do that thing. Focus on intention. That's so hard Wait, to do. It's hard as hell, man. You, but I, I have to hide. My phone is hidden. I've got do not disturb on. I've got you on full screen so I don't see any notifications. I almost have to have horse blinders on. I've tried to construct my life to where I can focus, but I fail at that 10 times a day. Yep, same, same. And that's another thing which I'm really, really... Um, I'm, I'm diving deep into, and I wish you could see my my daily scorecard, which used to have probably at least six or seven items that I was trying to do. You know what it has now? It has one thing. It has one thing, meditate. That's it for that reason. I have determined reading, you know, Stephen Kotler, Dawson Church, all these guys about meditation, mindfulness, Sam Harris. That's where it has to start. It's, it's, it's taming the monkey mind, the monkey brain. And if I can get that tamed, then my prayer life is better. Then my actual execution of deep work is better. And, and so now, and it was really hard for me because I look at a daily scorecard and there's only one thing on it and it's meditating. It has nothing to do with how long I'm going to work out, how many books I'm going to read, how much I'm going to write, all these things that I really want to do. Nope. One thing, meditate. Because that taming our mind and focusing and when you do it it feels so good and that's uh can you that tell is a struggle uh, meditate means a lot of different things to people what does it mean to you so for me i keep it simple it means quieting your mind for a for an extended period of time and by Are you sitting I mean, somewhere do you do you go somewhere like 
So it's usually up here in my uh, my office. I um, it's in the morning, and I do use Sam Harris's um, guided meditation, his waking up app. Uh, I am starting to look more into Dawson Church's guided meditation. Um, we'll put links yeah. to both of those in the show notes. So yeah, and brain and, it, and for for anyone that's like me that is not an expert in meditation, uh, brain bliss. Is it brain bliss or bliss brain? Maybe bliss brain. I don't have the. There's no, um, there's no shortage of places to go to learn about the the meditation. Right, but I would, but I think Dawson Church is probably the one that I've read that I like the most. And Bliss Brain really is a great. It, it tell it talks about the science. It's kind of like what Stephen Kotler does. He even mentioned Stephen Kotler a lot, which he taught. You know, who's kind of. I think Stephen Kotler's doing for flow what Ryan Holiday did with stoicism. It's he's cr- literally creating a cottage industry out of it. But Dawson Church, he tells you the science, but then he's very clear and and easy on the how to and the why. And when and so reading that book, even though I've read all kinds of books about meditation, that's when I now I start to try to ignite the neurochemicals in my brain to, and to try to get past the default mode network, which is the, like the deem that, that part of your brain that literally, and it's funny when I realize that that's what's happening. You sit there, you know, if you try to close your eyes and meditate, the first thing that's going to happen is, Oh, don't forget you got the podcast with Jason. Are you ready for the podcast? With Jason? What if, what if notifications come up during the podcast with Jason, you know, Oh gosh, you know, you don't have that thing ready for, and you have to literally be able to train your brain to go, I got it. Shut up and move past that. It calms down, and then you get to a state where it, to me, it's like just calming water, and then you're ready for the rest of the day. And so, and it makes you more peaceful, and you can actually grow the gray matter in your brain. Which, when I found that out, I was all in. Yeah. So I'm like, hey. and how many minutes do you meditate a day now, on average? Ten. Ten, ten minutes. Ten. That's it. Ten. I want to. Ten minutes. I want to get more. Yeah, ten minutes. That's all ten. you need, I guess. I'm sure more would help, and I eventually will get there. But again, I'm not going to put that pressure on myself. I'm like. It's kind of like I started doing the five Tibetan rites that Ben Greenfield's, you know, like talking about here lately. I started doing that every morning. And the idea is to do that each exercise for 21 reps of it, you know, exercise movements, whatever. I didn't want to do that. So I started out doing 10, then 15, then 17. And then today it was 20. And eventually I'll get up to 21 with meditation. I just want to be very consistent doing at least 10 minutes a day. And then I'll get up to 15. And then by the time you and I are having a conversation when we're in 40 or you well, know, in 40 years from now, whenever we're still doing this and we've got a lot of listeners, I'll be like, yeah, I just crushed 90 minutes of meditation right before we got on, you know, it'll get there. <laughs> so I really have enjoyed this conversation and, and I really think we could uh, continue. I mean, this, this is basically what our conversations are like when we meet. <laughs> so um, yep. where can the listener learn more about Jason Wright? Jason Wright now. My name, JasonWrightNow.com. That's the best place that takes you to my website. Please subscribe to the newsletter. Um, feel free to go out to Amazon and purchase uh, uh, Push Play, Taking Your Life Off Pause. Again, it will look incredible next to your toilet. Um, but no, to JasonWrightNow.com on Instagram at JasonWrightNow. Uh, please check me out there. Twitter, I'm not very active, but JasonWrightTX. And so, yeah, I, and, and I respond to... All of my emails, my DMs, I, I really, 
I, I'm, I'm very big on kind of what James and I have talked about. I, if, if there's a way I can help you, if you want, if I, if there's anything I have that can benefit you, reach out to me. I will do my best. And I, I, I thrive on it. I love that. And so I'd love to hear from any of your listeners. And Jason, it's been an honor. And to the listener to grab the show notes for this episode where we'll put the Four Sigmatic Rush Rooms, all the books that we talked about, the different podcasters like Tim Ferriss, James Altucher, Ben Greenfield's book, Boundless, and more, head over to quandall.com slash write. That's quandall.com slash write, W-R-I-G-H-T. Jason, this has been fun. It's such an honor to have you on the show, and can't wait to talk to you soon. 